Uh, Mike McClellan from, uh, it's kind of hard to say, but Blue Eye, Missouri for a change. How, uh, how big of a town or small of a town is Blue Eye? Is it actually a town? It actually is a town. It's yeah. not much of a town. It's, yeah. uh, you know, as bad as I hate to admit it, I don't even know what the population is. But I, I'm assuming it's under a, a yeah. couple thousand, if not even less. It's a great name. Yeah. Blue, Blue Eye, Missouri is a great Absolutely. name. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Uh, and you're there fairly recently. And we've uh, we've documented uh, you've you know built a built a new home there and, and moved there. So you're, you're whoops. I think you're pretty well moved in now, right? Settled? We are moved in, without a doubt. Haven't got all the decorating done. My wife keeps uh, saying we need to get after it. Uh, last year didn't uh, make some money that I was planning on making, so I kind of <laughs> held off on the game room and uh, a oh. few things at uh, the trophy room. But uh, now that we're uh, having a little better year yeah. this year, we're going to get it f- figured out and finalized. We're going to get to that real quickly here, but uh, it's hard not to pay attention to Score Tracker because we're doing this during live action. So there's, yeah. a, there's a group of 40 guys out there right now, and we're commenting on the performance of one young Jordan Lee, who started the day with zero and who is currently leading with 32 pounds. You know, that is the thing that is incredible about this format. The fact that a guy can come Mm -hmm. from a horrible day and recover. And, uh, you know, the fact that we've upped the minimum uh, weight requirement this Mm -hmm. year, I think has been a, a phenomenal adjustment for the league. But it's still the fact that every fish counts allows a guy to come from absolutely the bottom of the pack to uh, potentially move on. Let's talk about uh, your course throughout this season so far. So I made the comment that uh, you look like you're having fun this season, You know, what happens when you're catching fish. It does happen when you're catching fish, but yeah. there's just a lot of things going better this year. You know, and, you know, I've mentioned to you in the past, and some people probably know it. I mean, uh, after the second event, uh, or actually during the second event of last year, uh, my aunt passed unexpectedly. We were in the process of trying to get the house finished up. I didn't yeah. probably prepare for the year as well uh, as I should have last year. So there was a lot of things that I wasn't ready for last year. Right. This year, I've got all my ducks in a row. I got things in order. I fished mm-hmm. a bunch in the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, been on the road now for two weeks. I fished a week before Eufaula. I fished between Eufaula and here. So it's all about just staying in shape, staying in the flow, just staying comfortable with what's going on out there. And that's what you've got to do to compete today. Well, it's it's clearly paid off because you're you're fishing well. You're, you're, you're catching them. Like I said, I mean, when you have cameras on board, you look like you're having a great time. It's, you know, when you're catching them, you do have a great time. I I don't care, you know, how things have gone. Once you get over that hump, once you get that confidence rolling again, uh, it's crazy how much more fun it can be. How difficult can it be, though, to to get to this place where you you don't perform as well as you are typically used to? You've been doing this for a long time. You've always done pretty well. You get to a spot where you you didn't do quite as well. Like, how difficult was that? Because... We spent some time together in the off season, and you jo- you joked about it. You said it jokingly, yeah. Like, man, I I wasn't very good this year. But I know inside <laughs> you were not necessarily joking about that. You were not happy. Oh, I wasn't happy with my performance last year. And the fortunate thing about this, as you mentioned, I, I have been doing this a long time. I mean, I've been doing it 22 years yeah. full time professionally. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, truly pursuing a career in fishing for 30 plus years. Yeah. So, I have had these years where things just don't go right. And the yeah. thing that's crazy about that is. You can catch them in those years that don't go right sometimes, Mm -hmm. but just not have a good year. I mean, I look back at a a couple of uh, seasons on the other tours Mm -hmm. where I missed a check by, you know, ounces, event after event, and caught 
14, 15 pounds a day. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I wasn't catching them. Things just didn't fall into place. And, uh, you know, I've always, I, I, my faith is strong. And I, I just believe there's years that uh, God's trying to get your attention. It's like, you know, you're not doing something right. You're not uh, living right. And uh, I, I believe that. And uh, it kind of makes you readjust your, your thought process. So as you headed into this season, um, did you do anything different with the way you prepared for the season? Did you... Did you take longer to prepare for the season? Was there anything at all that was different than the way you've done this for 22 years? I think the biggest thing about this year, and I'm not going to say it was different than what I've done in the past 22 years, but I've always been one that fishes a lot in the offseason. Mm-hmm. I know sure. there's a lot of anglers that need the offseason to get away from Absolutely. fishing. Absolutely. But for me, if I'm going to have a good year, mm-hmm. I fish a lot during the offseason. And I look back yeah. at years through the past mm-hmm. that I haven't done that, and those are usually the years I struggle. Okay. Let's take a look at this uh, Bass Pro Tour season as a whole. So you started off on Lake Eufaula. That's a fishery that you fished a handful, several times, I'm sure. Several times. Yeah, yeah. So we were here down in Okeechobee. Everybody's fished this place a lot of times. Uh, we've got Lake Fork coming up. We've got Raleigh coming up again. Um, we have a pretty exciting couple of months ahead of us, specifically as it relates to bigger fish fisheries. We, we really do. And uh, the thing that's cool for me about the next event being on Lake Fork I've never fished Fork other than in TTBC competitions the Toyota Texas Bass Classic so in that particular event you had nothing to lose no you went to that event with one goal and that was to win and every time I went down there that's the attitude I had and I fished for big ones all day and I feel like I know how to catch big ones there now with the two pound minimum I don't know what the opportunities are there but I do feel like I can catch, you know, 20-plus pounds a day as long as the fish are cooperating. And and you say that, I mean, that was in TTBCs under a five-fish limit. Sure, right. I would catch 8 to 12 a day mm-hmm. generally to end up with, you know, 24 to almost 30 pounds. Yeah. So when you add those other ones in that you normally don't weigh, you're looking at a 40-, 50-pound day. So what kind of... Uh mental micro adjustments have you had to make for this two pound minimum because we've we've gone we've come from a place where it's one pound and you just keep catching them as much as you possibly can has it required anything of you mentally for to a two pound for me no because last year i tried to force myself i've never been one to catch or to go out looking to catch a lot of fish i mean my whole career And I say that, I mean, once I won an event or two and evaluated those particular events versus other events that I didn't fare so well in, typically when I went looking for groups of fish and just numbers of fish, I had so-so events. But when I finally figured out that you don't have to get but five or eight bites a day to win, and that's how I've based the last 15, 18 years of my career, this hasn't been an adjustment for me. This has been getting back to the way I like to fish. Really? You like it? I love it. Really? Absolutely yeah. love yeah. it. Let's take a look at uh, sort of the course of things that have happened over the course of your career. So we're going to just say, t- we're just going to say 25 years because 25 is an, an easy number to get to. It is an easy number. That's an entire, <laughs> that's an entire generation. Yeah. That's an entire generation. So uh, this is, seems like a kind of an obvious question, but how, how much different is the game of professional bass fishing today versus <laughs> 25 years ago? What year would that have been? 25 yeah. years ago. I mean, uh, what are we? Uh, in 2020. The, in the 90s. Yeah. In the 90s. Yeah. 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 Or would it be the 80s? 80s? <laughs> 90s. You're 90s. right. Now, 90s, yeah. It, it has changed so much. You know, yeah. we didn't have GPS. Right. We didn't have mapping. 
and when I say mapping, I'm talking about mapping on our Absolutely. electronics. Yeah, right, right. We didn't have things such as Garmin Panoptics LiveScope. Oh, I mean, magic. this industry has changed <laughs> yeah. so phenomenally. It's funny you asked me that question. I met a, a young man uh, while I was fishing the U.S. Open. One of the gentlemen we stayed with, son, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. did a paper for one of his classes yeah. about how much the sport has changed. And he called me and did a hour, hour and a half long interview just about no how much the sport had changed. And yeah. it, it's endless. I mean, the boats, the motors, the, the trolling motors, everything that we have today has yeah. advanced this industry so much. Even the tackle we fish, Absolutely. the rods, the reels, the baits. I mean, when we first started, I mean, I don't know that it mattered what you threw in the water. If you got around them, you could catch them. Yeah. And these fish are getting so much more pressure, so sure much there. more educated that, sure. you know, things that we're throwing now have got to be so much more realistic to, to trick them. Do you uh, remember, and this is this is asking you on the spot, so it might, it might take a couple minutes this. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time you competed against some of these guys who've been out here for a while? For instance, Gary Klein <laughs> and Mark Davis and you know, Paul it's, Elias. It's funny that you bring that up because uh, I reminisced about that just last week. The really? first time I competed against a lot of these anglers, that every one of them you just mentioned, yeah. I had an opportunity in 1988 to fish Megabucks, the year Larry Nixon won at the Harris Chain. <laughs> so that was the first year that, and what, what would I have been, 19, 18, 19, That's 20 crazy. years old. That's crazy. So to have that opportunity to, to compete against them, and I'd already met some of them. Yeah. I'd met Gary and, sure. and various people through. Uh, I actually observed as a 15, 16-year-old young man for an organization called U.S. Bass back in the mid-'80s. They would have these tournaments where they required mm-hmm. observers. Yeah. And yeah. somehow I got in, introduced to the right people. So I met Gary and, and Rick and all of you know the guys that i looked up to at a very young age so to get to compete against them when i was 19 20 years old Mm -hmm. it it makes me realize how green i was and how good they were back then (laughs) you know and and i would like to think that i've learned a lot in that 25 or 30 plus years and 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 feel like i have but it's it's incredible to see those guys still competing at the top of their game i mean shaw's killing them this week i think paul i think i saw a while ago he's he's in the hunt this week uh yep. Yep. you know uh it's unbelievable that an angler can have a career mm-hmm. that can last as long Absolutely. as Absolutely. it can yeah. in this sport so the there really is no such thing as like a, a defined prime for an angler but it's not 20 it's not 23 like other professional sports or whatever competition you're in it's it's typically in a guy in his 40s or i feel like mid mid 30s to to mid 40s you know skeet made a quote i think a a number of years ago or he had researched that there have been like i don't know if any other than maybe charlie uh oh why am i blanked on his name i actually fished with him at the harris Ingram. uh not charlie ingram um he's passed him and his wife used to fish uh he won the classic but i think he may have been one of the only winners of the classic that was over 50 um he was from oklahoma and uh skeet had made that comment you know that but i do believe that an angler's prime Mm -hmm. and my son 
still would love to try the game. He's yeah. 30 years old now. Uh-huh. And he's like, Pop, I'm, I'm getting too old. And I'm like, Justin, look back at when my career really took off. Yeah. I mean, I tried for many years. Mm-hmm. But until I was in my early 30s, I really didn't have that much success. We should note, uh, if you're hearing in the background some noise, we're at uh, Lightsey's Restaurant in Okeechobee, Florida, which is uh, pretty much a regular stop. You come in here during the week that we're here, it's loaded with MLF people. And all the anglers, all the people. And it is loaded for a reason. I mean, I've eaten here two nights this week. Uh, never eat buffet, but last night uh, they had an oyster, crawfish, uh, grouper wing buffet that was unbelievable. I mean, have you ever had oysters is that, on a buffet? No. Is that a one time a week thing? Uh, it must be because it was phenomenal. So, the part of the country where you live and where you grew up. Just the just the general Ozarks in general is a is a fascinating place to me. Just just for for the reasons that that the the, the techniques that have come out of there, the anglers that have come out of that area. Uh, there's just something about about the Ozarks that I'm I'm just intrigued by. There is, but I think it it defines two different groups of anglers that have been very successful in this industry. All right. You have that group of Ozarks anglers yeah. that have learned to fish, you know, offshore, to fish specific targets, structure, things of that nature. And that's the reason I think you have that group of Arkansas, Oklahoma, Missouri anglers mm-hmm. that have been so successful. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have that group of anglers that grew up fishing grass lakes. Yeah. And you've got a few exceptions of the southern Arkansas guys. You know, they got to experience grass and, Hmm. you know, table rock and bull that don't have any grass. So, for me, lakes like Okeechobee have always been a struggle. I mean, I've won in Florida, but it was, Mm -hmm. I was fishing isolated, very specific targets when I won down here. I wasn't randomly fishing grass. And that's what's always been a struggle for me. And that may be the reason this week here on Okeechobee, I'm having some success. I mean, I'm fishing places that when I pull up, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's one in two or three places in this clump of grass. And I don't have to waste a lot of time fishing really just a grass line. That's important, right? Because I mean, that's, that's kind of the definition of fishing is you got to find the right spot. You do have to find the right spot, but it's somewhat untraditional because these fish generally move in groups. And usually when you find that right stretch, and that's the reason I brought that up earlier too, usually you're fishing around a group of boats because these fish like invade an area of the lake. And right now the lake is in so much different shape than it's ever been. I really believe someone that is fishing by the seat of his pants and just kind of going with it has got some uh, momentum going. And I I feel like I've learned even more yesterday than I had learned the really? four really? or three previous days I've been on the water. Let's uh, talk then a little bit about uh, the progression of your, your Florida experience so far. So you'd mentioned that you did some fishing before you came down here. So you stopped and did some fishing. So it, I guess for lack of a better term, kind of got your mind right for Florida. I definitely feel like it got my mind right for Florida just due to the fact of the lake I chose to fish. Yeah. I just happened to stay close to Lake Griffin on the Harris chain. It uh, It's probably one of the more similar lakes to this lake in the fact that it's got lots of Kissimmee grass. It doesn't have an overwhelming number of pads, which this lake doesn't have near the pads that it used to. Um, It has flat reeds. It has buggy whips, as I call them, or the the pencil reeds. So I was able to kind of break it down from the perspective that the fish even, what is that, 90 miles north of here, 
a lot of them were post-spawn. They were really aggressive. They were set up in those places where you felt like they were garden fryer, where they were feeding back up. Mm -hmm. And it did help me get my mind right for when I came down here, not getting caught up in mm -hmm. trying to force feed these fish and, and look for an area that they were loaded in. I've just covered a ton of water while I've been down here. So uh, will you take a similar approach when we head to Texas? You have a two-week break. We'll leave here, and we have roughly two weeks before we're back at Lake Fork. Yeah, I definitely will. And, and I haven't decided what pond I will go fish. There's a couple of lakes uh, right there around Fork. I don't know mm -hmm. for sure I need to read up and make sure we're spending all competition days on Fork or if there's any other lakes that could be off limits. But uh, there's a couple other lakes around Fork that fish a little bit similar that yeah. I'll, I'll right. go spend three or four days fishing somewhere close just to get a grasp. Are these fish pre-spawn? Are they spawning? Yeah, yeah. Are, they, are there any post-spawn fish? To me, that's the biggest part of me trying to figure an area out is just trying to get in tune with what the fish are doing in that general area of, of the country we're in. Let's talk real quickly about your uh, your travel lifestyle. So you're a, you're a camper. Yeah. Like, and you have done it for how long? Uh, we've actually been doing it full-time now for about four years. Okay. Uh, so as far when I say full-time, I'm saying when we're going to events. Yeah. 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 So you, you strike me for some reason as somebody who's been a camper all the time. I don't know why. I don't know why that's the case. Maybe because you've embraced it. I don't really know for sure. There is some truth to that. I mean, yeah. as a youngster, getting started fishing the old Redman series, which yeah. is now the BFLs, I mean, camping at that point in time was the back of a, a pickup. Yeah, you know, right. you, you had a camper shell on the back of your Toyota or whatever truck you drove, yeah. and yeah. you had a mattress, and you got had a real warm sleeping bag, and that was how the early ones of us that were trying to break into this industry did it mm -hmm. um we have always camped as a family now stacy my wife had to basically stay home for the first 15 years of our marriage sure. as i pursued this career raising our three boys mm -hmm. but when we decided three years ago to sell the house after the youngest got out and downsize and and move uh we bought a fifth wheel and you say camping i yeah. think my wife calls it glamping uh we've got a 40 some foot fifth wheel with uh yeah. with five slides so sure. uh, it's sure. come a long ways the first five years of our camping with three boys we had a pop-up a pop-up had you know two beds on either end and that's what we camped in for probably the first three or four years of our marriage holy smokes and then it yeah. went to a you know a pole behind that was 20 some foot long and then they just kept increasing yeah. and we enjoy it we love it yeah. and, and my wife grew up camping as well so okay. it, it's yeah. just something that we both naturally love to do well and so this this is a, a thing i think is somewhat unique to this sport is there is a uh, community to professional bass fishing and the the, the group that that camps is probably the best representative of that because there are several of you guys who have been around each other and you're there you're around each other all the time because you basically live next to each other for the week that we're here then we move to the next spot and you live next to each other again yeah this place spread us out a little bit more than most yeah in right. most True. situations we are there's usually 18 20 22 of us camping in the same camp facility so yeah you uh you have little get-togethers you have cookouts uh, the days off just add to that fun mm -hmm. of being able to fellowship with the the other people that camp yeah. Uh, yeah. brent chapman uh, went offshore fishing before we got down here he hooked me up with a bunch of grouper and snapper when we arrived so things like that yeah. is what makes camping so cool that's great let's talk a little bit about lure design because this is something that you're pretty deeply involved in i think you like it 
I did. A little bit, a little bit, I would say. Yeah. And you're pretty good at it because you have some pretty good baits. Yeah, well, I appreciate talk, talk that. About, talk about that a little bit. You know, it's one of those deals, and I guess it kind of goes back to my uh, my childhood. I mm. mean, coming up through school, uh, my dad was in the uh, paint contracting business. Okay. And I just, as a youngster, remember listening to my dad fuss about architects and engineers. And for some reason, I thought, well, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to be an architect. So I took, uh, all through high school, I took a vocational class and learned to draw. You know, I, that was, I mean, I was an architect or, you know, aspiring to be an architect. And I guess that just gave me the ability to, you know, put my thoughts down on paper. Mm-hmm. And uh, as my career started to blossom, and uh, actually I'm trying to remember if there was an event that I fished when I was a senior in high school that I won 10 grand in. Okay. And at that point in time, I decided I wasn't going to be an architect. I was going to pursue a professional career in fishing. So, uh, you know, it was one of those situations. But as my career took off, and uh, Spro was really the first bait company that came to me and said, hey, we want you to be involved yeah. in, in designing the stick bait series. And as that progressed, it's, it's just turned into more. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't understand all the dynamics. I can put a, a shape on a piece of paper and mm-hmm. tell people mm-hmm. what I want it to do. Sure, sure. And as long as we have the right people in place to make it happen, yeah. I got some pretty good ideas. All right, so walk me through that process. Then. Walk me through the process of, of got a concept for a bait or there's something I'd like to do that's never quite been done exactly like this before. How long does it take? What are the steps that you have to go through to get from brainstorm to product on the shelf? It really is pretty painstaking. The The McStick line, the, the Spro Stick Bait line, yep. Yep. that deal took about from conception to actually getting them on the shelves, I'm going to say two and a half to three years. Okay. I mean, it, it seems like there's no way. But, you know, I drew the concept of what I wanted the bait to look like. Mm-hmm. I had notes written up and, you know, diagrams of the internal parts of the baits. And, and the beauty of it was, was at that point in time in my career, I had thrown every stick bait there was on the market. So I knew what I liked about each specific bait. Mm-hmm. And I basically just kind of morphed all of those baits into what we now know as the McStick. And, uh, but to actually make it work, the first I'm going to say eight or ten samples that were made, the bill design and the bill placement just wasn't right. Okay. And you, you don't realize how critical little things like that are. And I literally sat down and cut bills out of plastic CD cases, various types of plastics, until I finally placed the bill correctly on the bait yeah. and got it to swim the way I wanted it to swim and go the depth I wanted it to go before we actually had a bait to to actually make a mold from so it took a long time you know i would say 18 or 20 months of getting to that perfect prototype and then you always have to worry about what happens from a prototype to the production Production, because they can change you bet it can and that was what was crazy is the uh, the rock crawler on the other hand Mm -hmm. it actually improved from the prototype state to the production state really? and the big dig the, the thing that improved was the depth i really thought when we finished the prototype state mm-hmm. i was looking at a bait that would max out at about 10. okay when i took that bait to the water the first time and it was probably bill thickness okay yep. and through it 
I took a, you know, a, a crankbait pole and I had marked it because I wanted to see how deep I could get this bait. And I got it hung like three times in 14 foot of water. Sure. And it's like, this is incredible to get a bait yeah. this size, this body shape that deep. Yep. And, and to me, that's what, uh, what I wanted to accomplish when mm -hmm. I designed the rock crawler series was I wanted to bait with a small profile yep. that would get to depths that we had never been able to get to on yep. table rock and bull and, mm -hmm. and lakes mm -hmm. like that. So that of course is, uh, is sort of the, the lore of that particular group of baits in that part of the country is, is there have been, you know, old school baits that have been around for a long, long time. Yeah. Everybody's trying to, how, how do we get the action? How do we, how do we build a bait that's somewhat like the old school baits so and many people try to knock those baits off though. true and that was the first thing that i never wanted to be a part of and and that's what's cool about working with spro as a company is yeah. they're they told me right off the bat we're not out to knock another company's bait off yeah. we want something unique mm -hmm. to our company mm -hmm. and that's the beauty of it the the rock crawler actually the process of it we had prototypes of the rock crawler in 2015 mm -hmm when I won Table Rock mm -hmm. in the Elites, mm -hmm. but they didn't feel like the market for that bait was as strong as it really was. After yeah. I won the Elite yeah. using the old Wiggle Ward, yeah. they're like, well, maybe there is something to this. You know, I think Brandon had, had some success at the Classic at Grand the year before on a Wiggle Ward. That's true. And they're like, yeah. well, let's go ahead and toy with this. So the, the Rock Crawler was actually Man, it was almost a four or five year project that finally yeah. took, you know, conception, yeah. and it's been it's been overwhelmingly successful. It's a great bait. Yeah. What? Uh, so so what do you do with it now? More colors? Do you do different sizes? I mean, what, oh, yeah. what's, the next, what's the next iteration of something? There's like there's a lot of directions we can go. I mean, yeah. you know, there's XD versions of right. both sure. sizes. Sure. Um, sure colors are you know that's generally the first thing you do because yep. i mean as people get comfortable throwing a particular bait everybody in every part of the country has its special unique colors sure i mean we're already up over 20 colors mm -hmm. in the original mm -hmm. rk series so yep. you know we're probably getting close on mm -hmm. colors there and now we'll start looking at you know maybe a magnum version maybe just a deeper diving version there, there's a lot of places we can go with this though is there any else anything else inside you that just dying to come out from a bait design perspective you got anything else that you're thinking about that you, you know i i, I have some point? plastics that uh you know i work strongly with big bite and yeah. uh we, they've just got so many things on the table right yeah. now i mean yeah. the company's growing phenomenally they're doing phenomenal across the board and yeah. you know all the pros that work with big bite as well have a lot of input on baits that are coming and they just keep releasing so many new ones but yep. Yep. I, I do have some plastics that i'd like to play around with that's all you got from just plastics? Not going to give me any hints or anything? No? Uh, no? Really not. Not not at this time. <laughs> yeah, not, not right now. All right. Mike, let's talk a little bit about heavy hitters. So this event is a, is a great concept. It's, it's, it's brand new. Um, as far as I can tell, there's never been a $100,000 prize for the biggest fish of an event. I, I, you tell me, has there, has there ever been one? You know, there there are some events that they've had across the country that Big Bass does pay 100000 Really? I think the Sealy Outdoors, uh, <sighs> the way that deal goes. And I think Arkansas used to have a huge Big Bass event that would pay that. But there's always been that feeling that some of those haven't been legit i mean i know the one in arkansas for sure there's been uh, some pretty sketchy stuff Questionable, going on. yeah yeah right. so the fact that we are having a national event yeah. that pays yeah. the kind of money that this heavy hitters deal is going to pay 
it's pretty cool and the thing that's cool about it is you know we all try to fish for big ones every day Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but when you're actually put in that situation that one bite could be worth that kind of money it might be crazy what you actually see some of the guys pull out of their boxes i mean it really could be and i mean it's not that it's yeah. completely unheard of now nah. because we, we we do all throw big swim baits sure from time to time sure and you know various things but yeah. but it could be pretty cool what actually goes on that week well i'm intrigued i'm just going to be intrigued by the entire process of it because so we mentioned we say a hundred thousand dollars but before that the big fish is fifty thousand and then mm-hmm. the two rounds before that the big fish is twenty five thousand so just just in big fish money <laughs> you could make an entire year's worth of a great year oh worth, a great year. a great year's worth you could you know a couple hundred thousand dollars yeah and and by the way if you happen to catch a big fish in the championship there's a pretty good chance you have a chance to win the championship too so you could you could leave there with and i'm gonna be honest i haven't studied all the details about the event i never like to count my chickens before they hatch so uh, i feel like i'm off to a good start i've You're got a 610 yeah. at ufall i've got a, a heavy three so far here which gets me a little over five pounds and i kind of figured at the beginning of the year you know a five five and a half pound average is, is about what it would take it's about right so uh I want to be involved in that event. That's one of those events that will be a lot of fun and a lot of hype and uh, something that's never been done on a professional level. That's true. That's and true. that's going to be the cool thing about it. We've, uh, we, you, meaning the anglers, have uh, been through, there have been a lot of firsts over the last 365 days. First, first red crest, first season, first a lot of things. But this is, this is a first that I'm pretty sure that there's not a single guy out there who, if, if they don't make it, if you don't make it, I hope you make it. I'm sure you're going to make yeah, it. Yeah, no. I'm, I, I'm telling you right now, you're going to yeah, make it. I hope so. Uh, that's that's a first you want to be a part of. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, the first Red Crest, I wanted to be a part of bad, and it just didn't happen last yep, year. Yep. But uh, the fact that I've got this year off to such a uh, good start, you know, the momentum feels good. It's, it's rolling. You ride the tide when the tide's rolling your way. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go to every event with that attitude of, you know, you've got to spend a, a certain portion of the day fishing for, for big ones. And, you know, there is a difference in fishing for big ones in numbers. There really is. And, uh, you know, here, uh, first day I just fished. Yeah. Yesterday, anytime I came to a place that I truly thought might have the potential of producing a big one, mm-hmm. I slowed down a little bit. I tried to catch a big one. So it's going to be interesting as the year progresses, you know, especially if you're setting up well in score track or yeah, on the score tracker, if you're in the cut, you can take those chances every now and then, you know, and uh, that's the way I look at it. So as we look ahead to the rest of the schedule, let's go, let's go ahead and extend beyond heavy hitters and just to the, the entirety of the schedule. So it's an interesting schedule. Um, It's, it's several fisheries that are proven, but are fisheries that guys really like to fish. I mean, for instance, we finished the Champlain and the St. Lawrence River, which are two signature fisheries. Oh, they definitely are. And the, the thing that is so cool about going to those fisheries is, you know, we've always competed under a, a limit. Yeah. And to go to those fisheries, I mean, there's been so many days up there that I've pulled up on a group of smallmouth that were all two and a quarter, two and a half pounds, that you just realize... You, they don't do you any Didn't good. Help you at all. They don't help. help you at all. Mm-hmm. To be able to set on some of those schools of fish during competition and just see what the potential is yep, yep. could be pretty incredible. I mean, the last time we were at the St. Lawrence, I, I found a school of biggest school of smallmouth I've ever found in my life. And I literally 18 or 20 drops in a row caught a two to two and a half pounder, but I knew they weren't going to play, and I never even made a cast there during the event. 
Um, it was within 75 yards of where I was catching, you know, my four and five pounders, but yep. never made a cast there. So it is going to be cool to go back to some of these fisheries. Mm-hmm. Largemouth mm-hmm. could truly right. play right. at the St. Lawrence River and at Champlain. Yep. There are so many Absolutely. largemouth in those fisheries that never come into play, but in our format, largemouth actually could yeah. win the event. That's right. So when we were there for a select, it was astounding how, first of all, how quickly guys would get to the target weight on the days where we had a target weight. But it was also impressive to me how one day would be dominated by smallmouth and one day would be dominated by largemouth. So, so what you say is absolutely the truth. I mean, they're, they're, they're always thought of as smallmouth fisheries, but largemouth will be factors. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I look back at the first time I fished Champlain, uh, you know, even in a, in a five fish limit format, the cut was like 16 or 17 pounds. I mean, I thought I'd had a great day and came in with 15, 15, I think, and, and found out, you know, I wasn't even ranked. I mean, I was yeah. like 60th. So, uh, you know, it was cool because I went up there to fish for smallmouth. The next time we went to Champlain, I kind of started seeing what largemouth could play. And I literally caught 17 pounds of smallmouth and then went and culled every smallmouth I had out with largemouth. I had 20-some pounds of largemouth. So to know that that potential's there, and, and sometimes the numbers of largemouth that you run into in, in particular areas is, is just unbelievable up there. Now, they have been exploited more since mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. have been up there mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. We've taught people sure. that they're there, right. and they know how to fish for them now. Yeah. So yeah. maybe not as prolific as they used to be, but uh, still could definitely play. Does the time of year on the St. Lawrence um, cause you to pause at all? We're, we're there earlier than we've been previously. You know, the, the beauty of that to me is I really feel like that deep drop shot deal that some of us has, have had so much success there in the traditional September, October time frame we've been there mm-hmm. won't be as big a deal. I think a lot of those fish, you know, there's, there could still be fish spawning. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot of fish that are just getting done that are still up shallow, still feeding up strong. And uh, I think it should make for a, a pretty interesting uh, week up there for sure. So you've been part of this whole thing with Major League Fishing since day one? Day one. Day one. Day yeah, one. Yeah. The event we filmed on Lake. Actually, yeah. I was involved in the pilot event that we shot at a little lake in Oklahoma on Fort Gibson. I think it was Fort Gibson we shot the pilot on. So tell I me, have tell actually... Me about that. Tell me about that. Uh, you know, that was, that was so fun yeah. to be involved in the pilot. I think it was myself, Boyd Duckett, Gary Klein, Jeff Crete, uh, Tommy Biffle. You know, I mean, it was a group of hammers. And we all show up at Fort Gibson at this off-the-wall ramp. I mean, it's like we were trying to be secretive about it. I mean, we went to one of the most off-the-wall ramps there is on Fort Gibson. And, I mean, they had some officials that they had kind of tried to come up with some thoughts and ideas about. And, you know, how's this going to look on camera? And, I mean, I felt like I was in a $100,000 competition that day. I mean, once that score tracker started moving, and you knew what Boyd and Gary and Jeff were doing, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, it made the drive even that much stronger. And that's the thing that's so cool about this format is knowing what the score is as the day progresses. I know there's a lot of guys that try to avoid that. Mm -hmm. You know, fortunately, the official has to give that update. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I want to know what the score is 
because I feel like you can use it to your advantage in, in certain times, and it, and it does drive you. It can, it can take the wind out of you at times, but it will drive you when you need to be driven. Did you have even a wild guess in your head the day that you shot that pilot that all that happened, that it would be exactly what it is because it's it's completely <laughs> different it's i mean there's 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 nothing about it that's there's some things about it yeah. like the old days but it is it, it, a new concept it is totally different however you know there i think now there is a difference in the cups and the bass pro tour as well so when we shot that pilot i mean yeah we left there that day full of excitement because we truly knew that we had something that we we'd never experienced as anglers mm-hmm. to actually compete head-to-head against these guys because you knew what they were catching. Mm-hmm. I mean, for so many years as anglers, we went out there, and you just kind of had a guess of what you thought you should try to get to. You yep. had no yep. idea what anybody had. So we knew we had the potential. We just didn't know how to make it all happen. And fortunately, the partnership with the Outdoor Channel, KSE, has helped us get to where we needed to be with putting that all together. So you find yourself in a position tomorrow to – advance to a championship what's a, what's your goal is it you know catch as many fish as you can or? absolutely i mean you know the the one thing that i've learned from watching these and looking back even just from the old cups is you can't quit in this format i mean occasionally you can lay up a little bit mm-hmm. but i mean when you get to tomorrow yeah. i mean things can happen so quickly i mean you saw me last uh, week at ufala i came up one place short so close i mean i pushed so hard and had so many opportunities to, to get there and, and didn't get it done. So it's, exci- it's exciting to have two in a row to have that chance to get to, to championship day. And uh, it'll, it'll be a grind, but I really do believe, you know, the way I'm fishing this week, uh, the freeness that yesterday allowed me to have. That, the yep. first day the wind kind of kept me from freeing up and running around, and I survived. Yesterday, when the wind was tolerable, I ran around and, and really kind of got to a point where I feel like I can go cover a lot of water and catch a bunch of them if, if they'll just decide to bite a little bit. I, I feel like I know where they're at right now. I, I haven't had a chance to talk to you since that round, and you, when you mentioned that, you reminded me of, uh, of just what we all watched when you, when, you, when you caught that fish, you hooked that fish that turned out to be just barely hmm. not, not scorable. <laughs> I mean, I, I know frustration had to have been, you know, I know your heart was going 137,000 miles an hour, but as far as viewability, brother, that was pretty, I, pretty interesting. I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, the fact that you guys all focus on that one yeah. at two minutes left. Yeah, of course we do. But I caught three <laughs> in the last 20 minutes yeah. that were 114 or 115. So it was one of those deals that, yeah. I mean, so many of those fish were so close to being two-pounders. Yet the largemouth that I had been catching there just didn't seem like they showed up that day. Yeah. The, 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 the spotted bass showed up there. And typically you're going to run into those scenarios. And uh, it was a chance I took. Yeah. Uh, I felt like it was the best chance I had to make it to championship day. Had I made championship day, I may have never visited that roadbed. But it was one of those situations that I had to try, and that, in my mind, was the best opportunity. You know, they would they would eat that freaking rock crawler if I could just <laughs> get it there at the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So by the time we publish this, this uh, event will be done. So I'm just going to finish with this. I hope that you catch 
plenty of two pounders. I hope he catch some four pounders. I hope he catches six. I hope he catches seven. I would. I'd, I'd just soon have a nine, like uh, the Faber caught yesterday. Just go yeah, for a nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Either way, good, yeah. good luck, and I appreciate you coming by, Mike. Appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, Joel. Yeah.